Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith, and we're on episode 153 in the Hall of Faith or in a Hall of Shame. It's a different kind of title. Well, there's a reason for it. I wanted to start out by talking about a question. So I work in end of life. I have done that for about 18 years now, which blows my mind. But there's a document that is often used in hospitals, hospices. It's it's a phenomenal document, and it's called Five Wishes. And in what it amounts to, it is a very user-friendly document that allows someone to let others know about their medical choices when it comes to their body, like what they want done, what they don't want done. And that's usually what people think about when they think about five wishes. And rightfully so. I get that. But if you read further and you get all the way to wish number five, The wish is my wish for what I want my loved ones to know. Like we could end up doing an entire podcast just on the different wishes that are listed here. But there was one particular question that as I was mentally and emotionally preparing to record this podcast, God brought to mind. It's a question that I would like you to ask yourself this very day. And the question is, if anyone asks how I want to be remembered, please say the following about me. So that's probably not one that you're going to go with your first knee-jerk reaction. It's probably something that you're going to think out. And everybody is going to be different as to how they would want to be remembered. I remember one time in particular that someone I knew, they had filled out this document and a family member had noted that particular section and exactly how the person had wanted to be remembered was truly how they were remembered. Isn't that a beautiful thing? But the sad thing is, I know of someone else who put some characteristics in those lines of how they wanted to be remembered. But sadly, That was not how they were going to be remembered. When we have those moments of of deep reflection, we know how we want others to remember us. We have that in our minds. We cannot control what is said about us when we aren't here. All we can control 
is the actions and attitudes that we take as we walk each day. Today's story is the last in the stories of King Saul of Israel. We've been walking through the book of 1 Samuel now for the last few months. And King Saul's life does not end on a high note. It ends on a very low note. But as I was looking at these scriptures this week, because I'm not only going to use the text that's in 1 Samuel 31, which is where we've been walking through, but from this point forward, as we study through the book of 2 Samuel, I will be intertwining what is written in the books of Kings and Chronicles, because many of the stories overlap, and our focal verses even though the stories in 1 Samuel 31 and 1 Chronicles 10 are very similar, telling about the last day of King Saul's life and thereafter. There's a couple of extra verses that the chronicler puts in that inspired today's lesson. So let's jump into this. I'm going to tell you ahead of time. It is not a bedtime story. King Saul started out with all sorts of promise. The people of Israel wanted a king. They wanted a king like every other nation. They wanted a physical king. They didn't want God, the God of the universe, the all-knowing, all-powerful God to be their king. No, they wanted a king like all the other nations. And boy, did they get one. A flawed, very much me, me, me focused king, which really was like the other nations. It wasn't a good thing. And we've seen Saul, for many of our lessons, running around as the green-eyed monster. Because instead of being fully in pursuit of living a life devoted to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Saul was focused on David and focused on David in such a spiteful, evil, jealous way that he chased him for about 10 years. Like he would literally leave the people of Israel and take his 3,000 best troops with him to try to find David just so he could kill him. Like Saul was a mess. And I hate to say those words. I hate, I hate to, but it, it's just the truth. Scripture shows you the life of Saul and the, and the two verses that we will camp on as our kind of camping and launching board today will give a little synopsis of the life of Saul and I can pretty much guarantee you that if you were filling out the five wishes you would not in any way shape or form want the descriptors that are given of Saul to be the ones 
that are given of you. So 1 Samuel 31. Now the Philistines, that's the main the main enemies of Israel at this time. And remember, for those of you who were with us the last couple of weeks, David is in Philistine territory. He finally had to escape down there in his mind. He had to escape down there in order to get away from Saul. He had to go into enemy territory because Saul was not going to give up as long as he was somewhere in Israel. So David is in Philistine territory. David was pretty high ranking and was supposed to be fighting in this battle, but the other commanders in the Philistine army, the king wanted David and his mighty men to fight alongside the Philistines, but the commanders of the Philistines vetoed it. And so David and his men are not fighting in this battle. And I just believe that's God's hand. I mean, it's God's hand so that David and his men would get back to Gilgal and or Ziklag, no, not Gilgal, but Ziklag, and and not lose as much time and be able to find the their wives and their children and, and accomplish what we saw in the last couple of weeks' lessons. But also, so that David wasn't in this battle. <sighs> because not only is this the end of the reign of Saul, but it's the end of the life of, of Jonathan. Jonathan, David's best friend, the person who loved David as if he were his own heart. So now the Philistines attacked Israel and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul and the Philistine archers came up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor bearer, take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt and torture me. But his armor bearer was afraid and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and his troops all died together that same day when the Israelites on the side of the Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The next day when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilboa, so they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death in their pagan temple and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths, and they fastened his body to the wall of the city of Bethshan. But when the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. All their mighty warriors traveled through the night to Bethshan and took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh where they burned the bodies. Then they took their bones and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and they fasted for seven days. We know that usually I stop and start throughout the narrative, but I wanted to read this straight through. Number one, because it's just really hard. It's hard to read. 
hard to read that Saul ended without ever making a turn to God. His heart never turned to God. He started with such promise and God blessed him in such such amazing ways in his early years. But he never got it. He never got that God was to be the Lord of his life. And as a result, he lived in misery and he died in misery. He died of suicide. And his sons died alongside him, at least three of them, including Jonathan, who is one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible. Because of his huge heart, his faith in God, his loyalty to David. Such a shame. Such a shame. As I said, 1 Samuel 31 and 1 Chronicles 10 tell almost the exact same story. But there is a difference. Well, there's a couple of differences. It goes into more detail about exactly where uh, Saul, Saul's body and his armor was placed. So in verse 9 in 1 Chronicles 10, it says, So they stripped off Saul's armor and cut off his head. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death before their idols to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of their gods, and they fastened his head to the temple of Dagon. And Dagon was one of their little g-gods um, of the Philistines. And it's just, it's just sadness. It's just sadness that Saul... Instead of living a life which glorified God, the God, the only God, instead he lived a life that ended in not only mockery of him, but mockery of the God of Israel. Because, you know, as they thought in that time, if a battle was won by a particular group that reflected on their God so that you think about it, the parting of the Red Sea, it brought, it brought huge fame to the God of Israel. The battles that they won, the battle of Jericho, it just many, many, many different things. And it, it pointed to the God of Israel, and his fame spread all over. But sadly, because of Saul and his misguided mind and his misguided ways, not only did shame come to him, but shame came to the God of Israel. I mean, the Philistines whooped the, the Israelites. But the last two verses of 1 Chronicles 10 are our launching point. So here we go. So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command, and he even consulted a medium. Instead of asking the Lord for guidance, so the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. So I can guarantee you 
If Saul had been filling out his copy of the five wishes as if there was such a thing back in the day, I would doubt that when he was asked how he would want others to remember him, that he would put in the blank, that he was unfaithful to the Lord, he failed to obey the Lord's commands, he even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. That wins him a spot in a hall of shame. And we could just look at these verses and, and just kind of say that that's just really sad and not learn from them. But I want to learn from them. Let's look at the three phrases that are contained, three descriptors of Saul in verses 13 and 14. So first, he died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. That was a choice. That was a daily choice. He had a choice each day to either be faithful to the God who had called him and the God who had provided for him or not. And he chose not to be faithful this very day. If all the facts were known, would you be known as someone faithful to the Lord? Number two, he failed to obey the Lord's command. Again, that was on him. He couldn't blame anybody else, even though he might have tried. But he didn't follow what God had told him. He tried to make it up as he went, if you remember. But I ask you, if you were held to account this very day, would you stand, be able to stand before God and be known as someone who lived by God's commandments? Or have you been living just however you wanted to? And the third one, he even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. And whether it be a medium, whether it be some other direction, it's the whole idea is the fact that he didn't look to the Lord for wisdom. He looked pretty much every direction but that. So if you were to be held to account today, would you be known as a person who was wise because you got your wisdom from God? As I was thinking through this and God was working on me, with this hall of shame. I couldn't help but do the contrast because Saul is one of many 
who, if there were a hall of shame, his name would have been included. Look through the Old Testament. Each of the kings of Israel, after the kingdom was divided, would have been in the hall of shame. You look at their either longer biographies or their short biographies, like a sentence or two. It'll be that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They had their place in a hall of shame. But I wanted to contrast it with what we talk about as the biblical hall of faith. Now, throughout Scripture, especially the Old Testament, you will see that you will have people of faith. And when they did come to the end of this earthly life, they were known for their faith. That didn't mean that they were perfect. Like I just finished teaching about King Josiah of Judah. And for the most part, he really not only was a faithful follower of God, but he also led the people to follow God. But he wasn't perfect. But God, when you, when you look at the little snapshot of the life of Josiah, scriptures talk about his faithfulness. So in Hebrews 11, I don't know how far we're going to read through this, but I just want you to contrast what we saw in those two verses that summarized the life of Saul. And I want you to contrast that with the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. It's very interesting if you ever really look at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 to see what names are included and what names are not included. Like, it, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's very interesting to me when I look down through it and I get down, I'm getting down toward the bottom here and Samson is included. But my buddy Joshua just doesn't happen to be in the scriptural record. But if you look at the book of Joshua and you see the end of the book of Joshua, you can see that Joshua was very faithful. It's not about whose names are in the hall of faith. It's not. It's that their lives of faithfulness, whether they were recognized in this particular text or they were recognized in the section of scripture that talked about their lives, but it was about in whom they had faith. It wasn't about the applause for them. It's the fact that their faith pointed to the one that was faithful. Hebrews 11. Let's just start with verse 1 and see where we get. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So let's just stop there. Like, as compared to Saul who died because he was unfaithful to the Lord, 
the people who are noted in this chapter had faith. Now, because Samson's included, and you got to go back and read about Samson. You know, Samson was no saint, not even close. And yet, there was faith in him. And he did display faith at times. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to muster up the faith? God will even give us the faith we need (laughs) to have faith in him. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought an acceptable, a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Contrast him to Saul. Verse 5, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Verse 6, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Verse 7, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that liked the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. There is no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they would they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It was by faith. 
that Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. And we can go on and on and on. Let's go to verse 35. The second part says, it was, so the first, let's do the first part. It's talking about all that those that have faith sometimes have endured. That they've overcome great things, but sometimes they've, they've gone through great challenges. It says, women received their loved ones back again from death, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And the last two verses of Hebrews 11, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. What's the dividing factor between Saul and others who could be in the hall of shame and those recognized in Hebrews 11 and at other places throughout scripture who would be in the hall of faith? Was it because Saul was imperfect, and David, and Samson, and Samuel, and Jephthah, and Barak, and Gideon, and Rahab, and others were perfect? Not even. Not even a bit. Because we're getting ready to walk through the life of David, and we've seen bits and pieces of him, but we're about to walk alongside him for probably a year or two. But it's not that they they were perfect. It was that they had faith. And not faith by just the words that they say. But they had deep abiding faith. Faith that caused them to live not for themselves, but for the glory of God. Because when it's all said and done, and we breathe our last on this earth, it all comes down to 
did you have saving faith, life-giving faith, in Jesus, the Savior of the world? Or were you like Saul? You were unfaithful. You failed to obey the Lord's commands. And you didn't ask the Lord for guidance. When you breathe your last, you've hit the point of no return. There is no chance to change how you will be remembered. Or more importantly, where you spend eternity. So our weekly challenge question ties in to everything I just talked about. If you were to die today, would your story be in the hall of faith or a hall of shame? That's a tough question. You know, some weeks I, I hit on topics where I go way below the surface level. But I'm not a surface level kind of person. I spend a lot of time digging into the deep. Because I think that's what's going to matter. And definitely with today's question. You know, Saul, if you look at his life, read through the book of 1 Samuel, and and look at his life, you'll see glimpses of what appeared to be that he had faith in God. But it was only glimpses. It wasn't a true abiding faith. True faith is not a, I walked an aisle when I was 10 years old and got baptized, and I've lived my whole life for myself but I know I'm going to heaven. That's not faith. That gets you into the hall of shame. But faith, faith is not just a one-time choice. Although it begins there, Faith is a daily choice to pick up your cross and follow Christ. Are you going to do it perfectly every day? Samson is in the hall of faith. If you ever need justification to, to remind you that it's not about perfection, just read. Go back to Judges and read the story of Samson. Read about Manasseh. Manasseh is not in the Hall of Faith, by the way. Uh, Manasseh was an evil, 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 evil king of Judah in the divided kingdom. Until the last, probably about five years of his life, he ended well. God got his attention, and the most evil king of Judah 
turned around. If you have breath in your lungs and God has ordained you to listen to this country voice talking into your ear, challenging you that if you truly would get yourself a a spot in the hall of shame somewhere, you can make a choice today and every day for the rest of your life to surrender all that you are, all that you have, and all that you ever will be to Christ. And from this day forward, to live as someone in the hall of faith. Not only would that definitely help how you'll be remembered when you leave this earth, but eternity, oh, eternity, will be so sweet. I thank you for tuning in this week. We'll take off into the life of David as David finally begins to see some of that waiting that he's been doing over the past at least 10 years. Some of that waiting, he begins to reap some of the rewards. Now, he doesn't get them overnight, and we're going to watch that play out. We're also going to see that David is not perfect, even though David is listed in the Hall of Faith, and David is a man after God's own heart. David was not good at managing a household. David was not good with managing himself some days. Which should be encouragement for us all. That it's about choosing faith, walking in faith, having faith that God will forgive us when we do mess up. Wow. So, just a a few comments as we close out. So, if you would like to reach out to me, if you've got any questions, concerns, prayer requests, uh, you can reach out to me at encouragingothersandlovingjesus at gmail.com. I've started on the new website. I haven't published it yet because it'll take a little bit before I can launch it up, but I'm looking forward to that. It will eventually be at encouragingothersandlovingjesus.net, but it's not there yet. As of the original recording, by the time you listen to this, it may have been up for a while. Still, We still have our Facebook group, Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. The link is in the show notes down below. You can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I have a link for the Overcast podcast app because it's one that really 
you can customize playlists. It works out well if you're going to listen while you are driving. Uh, again, this podcast is still free of charge. Um, if I ever do begin to charge, it will be for a premium service. The regular podcast will stay free of charge, but I may do kind of a, an up, up charge kind of thing and um, give you some extra content if you join. I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm just kind of thinking through it. If you have any comments about that, you can let me know as well if you think that would be something that you would like. If you will zip me an email and let me know that. And since it is free of charge, how about you share it? Look, you can share it on social media. You can share it with a friend and say, hey, I think this could be encouraging for you. Take advantage of the opportunities you have to share free content, to encourage others to get into God's Word. As I've shared before, this podcast is not meant to be the end-all, be-all of your Bible study. My goal is to point to God's Word to look through the stories, especially as we walk through the Old Testament, to look at those stories, to reflect upon the meaning and the application, at least some of the applications, but to get you to go to God's Word and look for God in it. We, so many of us say that we live by the Bible, but we don't know the Bible. May this podcast stir within you a hunger to dig into God's Word, to learn it, to live it. I think I need to pray over you before we end this week. Dear Father, I thank you so very much that we can learn lessons not only from those who would be recognized in a hall of faith, but even those who, who messed up, who, like Saul, would have been recognized in a hall of shame. Dear God, may it not be us. May we learn from Saul and not follow his example. May we be faithful to you. May we obey your commands. May we ask you for guidance and may we point others to you in the process. Dear God, I don't know the burdens on each other's hearts that everybody who's on this podcast today but I know that there are some that are hurting. There is no doubt in my mind. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would, you would do as only you can and that you would heal their broken hearts and bind up their wounds. Dear Father, if they're struggling with their faith, I pray that you would place people around them to encourage them, to pray for them. I pray, dear God, that you would make them make yourself especially known to them right now. Give them the courage. Give them the strength. 
show the light for them to walk day by day in faith. And I give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. I'm signing off. We will talk next week. And remember, it is always a trust and obey kind of day. <music>